You are listening to the Trading Truths Podcast with me, Cheryl MacDonald. In this series of six episodes, we will journey through the world of management. My hope is that you will be inspired to champion courage, rewrite the rules, and create a world where your voice is heard and valued. Join me each week as I take a step back in time to speak with exceptional line managers who I've really appreciated working with. Our guest today, Chris, has spent decades in the humanitarian sector. He's worked with renowned organisations such as Tearfund and World Vision. His impressive resume boasts a myriad of roles, from disaster management advisor to country director, spanning countries like DR Congo, Burundi, Liberia and Indonesia. Chris currently serves as a global resilience lead at Tearfund, based in London. In this role, he's been instrumental in resourcing countries to better prepare for predictable disasters. This unit supports Tier Funds programs and partners in an incredible 50 countries worldwide. Chris, who has a wealth of experience in managing diverse teams across different geographical locations, will be sharing his insights and memories from his time managing a team of expats in Indonesia. Get ready to dive into the challenges and rewards of humanitarian work and the evolution of leadership styles. Chris, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much, Cheryl. I uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to, to engage on this subject. Sounds fascinating. We're going to go back to the time when you were managing me in Indonesia. And at the time, you were managing quite a diverse team of expats over three geographical sites. Um, I know we're stepping back a few years, but what do you remember of that time? We were coming in and managing people maybe with not so much experience of doing humanitarian work. This was in the aftermath of the Asian tsunami. And some of the, we were starting new projects. Some of it, we were carrying on existing projects. And regularly, we have changes of people. So the kind of people that I was managing as, as country director at the time was changing regularly. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was always a bit of a challenge and also multiple locations. Mm-hmm. So we weren't just in one place. Um, so it meant traveling around quite a bit and a lot of remote management where maybe you don't see the people for several weeks or maybe even months sometimes. Mm-hmm. And how would you describe your leadership style at, at that time in your career? Possibly benign dictator. Um, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I guess I, I've learned across the years, but I think back in those days, I still was maybe not. Uh, as relaxed as a leader and also doing humanitarian leadership is different from the kind of roles I do now which are much more kind of global advisory roles Mm. Um, so you are often coping with having to make a decision quite quickly about something you don't know that much about and so you're trying to find out enough information because that decision has to be made soon you know you can't wait you know, you need to uh, get on with making something happen, um, which will, if it doesn't happen, have a knock-on effect on the other stuff that's going on and under the people's work as well. So mm-hmm. I think I think my style has evolved, but also the kind of pressures I was under then are very different to the kind of pressures that I'm, I'm under now, which are much more long-term and, and strategic things. Whereas I think in that, that 
project where you were there, it was much more immediate, much more um, day-to-day management uh, and less of the kind of longer-term strategic stuff. So I, I'd like to think my, my style has changed and improved. But I, yeah, I, I'm just coping with very different things now, I think. And at the time, you were treading a, a delicate balance between managing me a project manager on the on the team and also you were my husband and yeah how did you find that balance yeah that was a mistake i think i think if uh i would not do that again and i wouldn't accept that as a, a job i think um with what i know now uh, i think it puts the person managing, person being managed, and their relationship under unnecessary strain. It's very hard to separate your personal lives from your work lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, in, in in hindsight, there should always be some kind of separation, really, between somebody. If you have to have somebody on your team that you know you're close to married to or in a close relationship then there needs to be layers of separation of of management and layers of accountability in there as well because Mm -hmm. I think it was very hard certainly for me to switch off my work head and put Mm -hmm. on my husband head if you like and the two Mm -hmm. very much overlapped and and that led to yeah a lot of challenges of, of boundaries and uh, and maybe yeah, a, a lack of of care sometimes. I think for me, so and I think the the way we uh, coped with that longer term was to put in place some of those boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. and create some separation. But uh, yeah, it's not a thing I think I would uh, I would do again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I would agree with you on that. I think it did put unnecessary pressure on our relationship. And maybe something we only realized in hindsight that it wasn't a great thing to do. And you you talk about boundaries and you did have a really, I guess, stressful position out there, quite high pressured. Can you remember some of the boundaries that you did try to put in place to have that separation between work and home life? Yeah, I think one of the challenges about being a, a country director in a humanitarian aid environment is you're not just responsible for achieving, you know, certain outcomes for the benefit of, of survivors of disasters, but primarily you're responsible for the safety uh, and security of your staff, you know, the people that are on the team, you know, that are employed by the agency. And that doesn't stop. It's not a nine till five thing. It doesn't stop. So it's a 24 seven. It's all the time. And, and even while we were out there, you know, we had major security and incident that kicked off. And that we had to manage the fallout from, uh, and it happened in the middle of the night. And so this this kind of you know how do you create um, boundary where you are less available, but you are still available if necessary. So we really had this rule that we put in place that said, look, outside of working hours, outside of your nine till five, I forget the times exactly hours, I'm still contactable. But I'm not contactable for anything other than really urgent and uh, emergency situations. So if it's anything to do with safety and security, yes, absolutely. Still contactable 24-7. Phone is always on. But basically, don't don't contact me about something which can wait till the morning. Mm-hmm. And if it's not about safety and security, it can wait. It can mm-hmm. wait. And so we had to 
we had to put those kind of things in, in place, particularly for phone calls and texting and all that sort of stuff to, to create uh, a separation. And I think as well for us, we had to create spaces that were non-work spaces where we would get away and do something that was other than work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that was quite important for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I admire you as a leader, and I know it's quite hard to be objective, but there are characteristics which I think you're really great at. Um, you, you're really clear-headed, so you calm in a crisis. Um, you recognize the strengths in, in your team. Are there any other characteristics that you recognize in yourself which make you a good leader? I suppose one of the things that, and this is probably because I value it in people that I've been led by, so people that have managed me, is an ability to listen well. Uh, and that's something I've, I've kind of tried to cultivate, I suppose, over the years to try and really hear what people are saying and to create the space and the time to listen well. So I, I, I was at a, a, a position three or four years ago where I, I had to manage a, a country program um, at short notice, um, only for a few months, um, but it was in crisis. Um, so I had to go in and really stabilize the program and make sure it didn't fall apart. And a lot of that was just really going in and giving space and time to staff, listening to them, hearing the the challenges they were facing, hearing what they thought was a good way to to get out of those challenges and basically saying, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it together and I'll support you to do it. Mm-hmm. So it was really just trying to give people the space to share what they then have been going through and what they thought were ways to uh, to cope with it and, and maybe solutions and so that's something I guess I've tried to cultivate is listening well not being available all the time because I think that's just not unrealistic but when you are available being visible being present and taking time to listen and to actively listen so to you know ask follow-up questions to monitor not just what somebody says but the tone of their voice their body language their eye contact all of that and try to hear you know how how is this person really doing how are they doing and what what can i do really to help them to thrive so yeah try to do that Mm -hmm. and um one last question if you were to go back to the chris mcdonald in indonesia all those years ago what would you tell him, knowing what you know now? I think invest more in face-to-face time with the people that you manage and report that report to you. Go, 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 be with them. Go see them. Go see how they're doing. Not just in um, achieving whatever objectives you know you've mutually agreed and project stuff, but just how are they doing? What's you know. How are they doing in themselves? What do they need in themselves to thrive well and to do well? Because I think in that particular Indonesia project, I I kind of assumed sometimes on the personal side that people were doing well. And I later found out some of them were not doing well at all. But it's just stuff that they didn't share because maybe they felt they couldn't share or they felt it would it would look bad for them if they started to say how they were doing themselves. So even when the, the job looks like it's going well and people look like they're doing okay on the outside, 
that's not that's not good enough as a, as a manager you've got to dig deeper and you've got to really find out and give people the space and the time to, in a safe way to share how, how are they really doing and so I yeah I'd love to have done that more and I know at the time there were things going on with me that I didn't share I wasn't happy in my role I think communication had broken down between us it was a tough time um yeah it was challenging I think we weren't really talking to each other um, and when we were talking, we weren't necessarily listening very well. I think we, yeah, it was a difficult time then. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to go into that same situation again. But we came out stronger and there's a lot that we, we learned from our relationship. I think our relationship got stronger through that time. We learned a lot about each other and I guess it, I think we came out of it really well. <laughs> well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Chris, for sharing your thoughts on um, the importance of creating space for people to share where they're at, um, the importance of boundaries, and also the reality of how challenging it is to manage your spouse. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Trading Truths. If you enjoyed it, make sure that you stay up to date with our latest interviews and episodes. You can visit our website or subscribe to our newsletter. We have so much more valuable content coming your way. So don't miss out. Visit silverbirch.coach and join our community today.